0: Let's roll. This is Counter Charge, your podcast for all things kings of war. Join your hosts, Mark Zylinski, Jeremy Duval, and Rob Fanouf, as they delve into the world of Mantica and bring you in depth coverage of all things Kings of War.
1: Welcome to Countercharge. I'm Shannon Shoemaker.
2: I'm Mike Carter. I'm Mark Zelensky And I'm Ralph Fanoff. And we're super excited tonight because we've collected a small, small subset of the OG Kings of War crowd. We were playing Kings of War before it was cool.
1: Yes, in the early days, for sure. First few years at Adepticon and Gen Con.
2: You probably heard. We got Michael Carter, uh, the TO that run his run, pretty much every event known under the sun. And, and Shannon Shoemaker, who ran last year's Adepticon. Uh, then you got me and Mark. So we're real excited to bring this to you tonight. Before we get there, let's chat about some hobby updates. Shannon, I mean, obviously, every time I see you, you have a new army. So what is the army of the month now?
1: Yeah, I'm working on some Allmantic basileans for... TNT is the next event I'll be going to. And then through the rest of the year, I'm probably going to put projects on hold until I see what's coming for third edition and maybe just do a little more painting on my goblins or on a basilan list I want to play before the formations get
2: wiped out next year, I'm sure. Absolutely. Or at least changed. Yeah. So, Mike, what about you? I know you're a prolific uh, painter as well.
3: Well, I was spending the last six weeks painting up eight warbands for GenCon and for Vanguard. Uh, glad to be got to get that done. Just picked up the new uh, Undead set. Now, again for Vanguard for them, so I'm going to get them uh, painted up to replace the Dungeon Saga version that I had done for that. And then I may look into
2: actually finally getting some Hellboy painted. New Vanguard Undead are amazing. Yeah, they are really slick. It seems like every time they come out with a new release for Vanguard, it's even better than the last one, uh, which is a good thing from a marketing standpoint. It's bad for my wallet.
1: Yeah, if they can push the new goblin look across the full range for Kings of War, I might have to go back and redo my goblins and actually put 30 or 40 guys on a horde base. Are you a preferred model count guy? Uh, I'm fine with it now, but I usually end up... I know my goblins, I, I used... um. Testudos, so uh, it's kind of big blobs of shields and goblin faces to take up space because I didn't feel
2: like painting 40, 30 or 40 of the old goblins. That's the Horde tax, though, right? You play Horde Army, that's the tax that comes with it. I've been painting halflings, and it's like, uh, you're just painting, and you're just painting, and you're like, oh, I've got a quarter of the base full. And you're painting, and you're and goblins, halflings, ratkin they're smaller models in general, and so it's like, It just takes a long time. So I I feel I feel the pain. My
1: eyesight's getting worse
2: (laughs) for the close Close work. I'm on three times magnification now. Wow. Yeah, I'm getting. I guess I'm getting old. I'm not quite to Mark's level yet. What are you on, Mark? Oh, what do you mean? What am I on? You don't you got one of those jewelry vices that drops down like ten times or
4: something? Actually, shockingly enough, what I do is I take my glasses off. That's what I've been doing
2: lately, and just not using it. I just hold it closer to my face. Top tip for anybody listening: if you can't see the model, you can't criticize yourself for your paint job.
4: There you go. Well, you know, and the other thing is, I hate painting with magnification. I don't. I don't I've never gotten good at it. I've had it for years and years and years, but for some reason, it just doesn't work for me. Well, what are you working on, Mark? I am working on my salamanders, you know, with third edition coming. It's like, well, what kind of army do you want to do? You don't know. So I kind of put that on hold. I was going to paint up the old uh, starter set with contrast paints, but with the drop of third edition, I put that on hold. So... I am working on salamanders uh, for my Forces of Nature Army, and I am working on experimenting with the contrast paints on some of the heavy, we- you know, the two-handed weapon guys. You know, it's actually not a bad result because I'm painting them red. So I used the Army uh, Painter Dragon Red, and then I gave them a red wash from Army Painter, and then I gave them a, a light, dry uh, brush of, like, a, a orange, a bright orange. And, um, yeah, it doesn't look too bad, but, you know, the contrast paints – not a bad substitution for it, so but uh, I still get the blotchiness and stuff like that. So I'm still playing with it. but so I'm planning on finishing them for my forces of nature and then kind of slowly pick through the uh, releases for third ed because it's kind of refreshing. this time around, I have absolutely no idea what's going on with this release. I've got nothing and I'm trying not to look at the leaks. I figure it's gonna break here on the air soon enough. So I'm gonna enjoy the uh, enjoy the hype while it lasts. How about you, Rob? What are you up to? You're always up to like five things. So
2: I kind of with third edition on the horizon, I kind of with Shannon where I'm kind of like, I don't know, it's almost demotivating. Like I don't really want to put a lot of effort into an army and then find out that it's not what I wanted to build. I'm kind of going a little slow. Um, I do have the elves all based. So I might go ahead and slap some paint on those guys because I'm pretty sure elf archers will still be around. They may not be as effective, but they'll still be a thing in in third edition. So trying something different where I put them all on troop bases and I'm going to paint the whole unit or a, troop, a troop at a time using contrast paints. So it should be interesting. We'll see how I get on. The stuff that's been coming out for 3rd edition, though, I mean, the, the 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 pictures from the new starter set, uh, Northern Alliance models and the uh, Night Stalkers. Oh, my goodness.
1: Yeah, it's cool, too, because now, I, even though it's not one of their armies, they're putting out more and more, especially with the Northern Alliance, they'll have more and more humans. They might not fit for every climate that you want to play, but it gives you guys to bring in for
2: kingdoms of men now at least varanger is another one right even though they're northern Alliance I think they, they could easily work as varanger sure yeah and kingdoms of men another another good point I am surprised I don't know if I'm surprised but I I originally was surprised that you know kingdoms of men has been pushed to the second book which is the armies of Panathor, which isn't going to release till I guess December at this point that that was a shock so really I guess the only human air quotings here armies are what basilea The Northern Alliance and Varengar, are those the the only human armies left in the the main rulebook?
1: Um, I didn't even pay attention. Is Varengar in the main rulebook? I don't think Varengar is in the main rulebook.
2: Conspiracy theory. Is it possible that Varengar is part of Northern Alliance now?
1: Um, I mean, anything's possible. I'm doubting it. We'll find out soon enough. They're probably just going to be in the second book, would be my guess. But I've been busy at work and haven't been able to keep up with (laughs) all the
2: leaks. <laughs> And if you haven't done it, go over to mansitgames.com, go to the blog. They're doing a week of information on 3rd Edition, and they're, and they're leaking it out strategically in a very good marketing ploy. Well, let's get into a few announcements, and then and then we'll get into the meat of our show. So announcements. got emails, DMs asking, you know, what are we doing this year for or next year for events? You know, what are we running? Um, we, we have run the Blue City Brawl for the last three years, and it was a really fun doubles event. We hosted for three years but I think that's the end of it. We're at a point where it was getting more and more work every year. Next year would require a venue change, and for anybody that's attended, I know Shannon's been there, the venue kind of made the event. Kind of just thought, it's time to retire it as as the event we knew. You know, I think Living Legends is, is a great event, and it's quite capable of carrying on the, the doubles format into the future. Um, however, that doesn't mean we're, we're not going to run events. Mark, how long when we posted our narrative events comment on Facebook? Was that like, Two weeks ago, three weeks ago? Yeah, something like that. I kind of just made a post like, hey, what do you guys think about narrative events? Well, it it completely blew up. And uh, the response was certainly way more than I was expecting since that time. And we have been working feverishly on a framework for that type of event. Um, I think at this point, we've got the framework in place, but really we need to wait for third edition to drop so then we can make additional tweaks but the basic premise is it doesn't really matter if you win or lose. It's a bunch of connected, interconnected games, asymmetric play, you know, two versus one, all kinds of goofy stuff like that, that culminates in some very large battle that's like a pageantry for Kings of War. So plan that I have hatched out right now is we'll run something near the end of 2019 as a trial, you know, a real small event for some of the local guys in here in Tennessee that can get to it, kind of work through some of the kinks, and, and if those... Kings get worked out i think we would go back to the drawing board and and see how we could scale it up and then and then possibly even roll out a two-day narrative event in 2020 so just watch this space for more details uh, next topic I wanted to mention is the Kings of War forums are back. You know, Mantic killed the, the forums back in the day because, well, honestly, they weren't being used that much. But there was quite a few people that were lamenting the loss of the forums. With Facebook being in the news as, as they are, you know, I think there's some people that are looking for alternatives to have this kind of um, group community discussion. And so Fred from the Giant Dwarf Podcast has jumped in and answered your call. The new site is the Kings of War. Forum. It uh, can be found at kowforum.com. He does have a Patreon to help subsidize the hosting costs, which can be found at patreon.com slash kowforum. I wanted to give a shout out to it. If you really want to get more of the details, go to episode 35 of the Giant and Dwarf podcast. Link in the show notes. Fred spends 15, 20 minutes breaking down kind of why they did it, how they did it, and where it's going to go. And I I jumped on and made my profile. Hopefully it takes off. I don't know about you guys. Sometimes Facebook is really hard to communicate with because like, I want to ask a question, but I know it's already been asked a hundred times, but there's really not a very good search function. So what are you guys thoughts on forums in general?
3: I'm old school. Uh, You know, I I like written stuff anyway. I like the idea of forums just so you can go back and find things. You can refer somebody. says, here's your answer. Here's where it is. You don't have to answer the same question. You don't have to tell somebody where to find the best magnetic bases over and over and over again. But, you know, I'm a little biased. I was actually one of the moderators on the old forums. And so I was uh, very, very sad to see them go. So be interesting to see how these new ones work out.
1: Yeah, I'm kind of the same. I feel like Facebook is fine, but you lose content so fast. You you lose things that you want to look for or, or reference again so easily. Uh, it's it's nice just for chit chat, jabbering back and forth, or the back and forth between clubs or players going to an event. But the forums are really nice for. I know people have said it for army building logs, blogs to to maintain pictures and so forth, or to have those posts, sticky posts at the top where you can, you know, you can track models that work for different ranges or like uh, Mike said, different companies that make bases, different companies that make dice or, or tokens or other things, right? It's It's really nice to have that. Works much better in a forum structure.
2: You know, Mike, you said it best. You end up answering the same questions over and over again, and I think it's human nature that eventually you get tired. And I think that's when like the snarky answers, the the sarcasm comes gets unleashed. And I think if you have the ability to pin at the top, you know, here's all these here's frequently asked questions and things that are going to be asked by all the new players. Uh, it just cuts down on some of the the bull crap that you might might see on, or do see on Facebook on a, on, a, on a daily basis. And I know Mark's a big fan of forums.
4: Yeah, well, forums, the one thing that, that also stops is newbie bashing. So, you know, it's like, oh, come on, man. It's like, no, I mean, you got to be very welcoming to the new players. You know, you absolutely got to bring them into the fold and, uh, you know, make them feel welcome in the whole nine yards.
2: I mean, I, I cringe, too, every time that they ask, hey, when's third edition going to drop? Or, hey, fill in the blank of the question. But the reality is these players are coming to these Facebook pages for help. And we're not always as uh, welcoming as we should be. So, you know, hopefully this is another tool in our community's belt that we'll be able to leverage. And Facebook's great for posting, hey, a tournament's coming up, or like banter or, you know, uh, sharing, you know, challenges.
4: Got to give a big shout out to Billy Capgun for his outstanding challenges that he has been posting lately. They have been literally funnier than hell. Uh, They are hilarious. And Billy Tip of the hat for me, they have been terrific, so keep them coming. So.
2: And if you haven't seen Andrew Summers' challenge, or I guess re- receipt of challenge from Jeff Franz for TNT, Andrew, I'm super glad that you're making it down to TNT.
4: Yeah, we really got to find a place to gather all these challenges in one place so we can uh, sit back and watch them sometime, because some of them are just too priceless to just fade away into history. So,
2: That's what the forum could be for. Maybe we could have a, uh, you know... A folder that can just save the greatest challenges. The Book of Grudges, or whatever you want to
4: call it. Oh, that's an excellent idea. The Book of Grudges. That fits with Billy perfectly. Absolutely.
2: I wonder if you asked him if he would actually take the time to do that. I don't know. He's not busy or anything.
4: (laughs) No. He's not busy. You know, teaching school's not a big deal. (laughs) So, fantastic. Well, speaking of something old that's new again, so to speak, in the old days, we used to let you know about upcoming tournaments here on Countercharge. If you recall... Since we're going old school, we used to have our tournament announcements section, but then that completely blew up and there's like a tournament every weekend. It is insane, and not only in the United States, across the planet. So, it is absolutely unbelievable. So, if you head over to uh kowtournaments.com, you can check out all of the Kings of Tur- You can check out all the Kings of War tournament action. And if you want to add something there, just contact them and they will get it up on the website for you. And that will help us grow the community around the globe. So that is fantastic. If you check it out, particularly if you're thinking of running a tournament, you can check it to see if there's already a tournament on the schedule for the weekend you're thinking about. So it's also a good planning tool for you future TOs out there as well as the players. So
2: and as Mark would say, a tip of the hat to Brian Berder for development of the site, the cost of running it. He's, he's taking care of everything, and the community really appreciates it. I got two guys on here that know something about Adepticon. Is there any uh, thing you want to leak out?
1: To make some more updates, I guess, after third edition comes out and we'll get some more details. But I think it will be pretty similar to last year. I've waffled back and forth on the five-game, six-game, but I think with all the con events going on and Mantic Knight, we'll probably stick with five games again this year like last year. Uh, but they don't know how the point cost point values will change for third edition or if they will, mm-hmm. but we should be in the same, I expect us to be in the same range of around 2000 points and an hour give or take for each player per game. So we can get a little more space, uh, three games on Saturday, two on Sunday, try to get you out by early afternoon on Sunday, and then hopefully give a little time in between games on Saturday for people to go down and visit the shop area and check out the vendors in the vendor hall. I don't know if there's any other details. I don't expect anything special probably this year. We'll probably stick pretty close to the rules. We'll have to see how the new scenarios are set up. Uh, I don't have any details
2: yet. I haven't been in on any of the play tests. Neither have I. I, I, Actually, though, I'm kind of liking that. I don't know about you, Shannon, but I like not knowing. I like the – I don't know. I'm in that that mode where I'm like – like like a little school child, just like giddy. Wait, waiting. Bring me the candy. I'm ready.
1: Yeah, I'm too busy right now, really, to deal with it. Anyway, uh, this summer has been really busy. The only thing that might have been nice is to have a little insight, say for monsters or other things. When I know Mirsa was doing some of their buy one get one free, but <laughs> that's okay. Um, I can always. Uh, I've got plenty of armies already to work on, and I'm sure with Northern Alliance coming, that'll probably add another one to my list. I don't know, Mike, if you have any other thoughts. Um, hopefully, I believe Mike's going to plan to run War Score again next year. Yeah. And I'll be able to wander around and answer questions, rules questions, or whatever questions people might have during the games. And hopefully, you know, we'll be at the same size or maybe a little larger next year.
3: Yeah, like you're saying, I think we made a good team last year. He's really good being out front. You know, I like running behind the scenes. Mm-hmm. And Taking care of the little, the, the scoring and the details. Adeptcon is is really the point where it's it is a multi-person job. You can't do it with a one or even two. You know, you, we're we're needing three and four people now with it. Just keep track of everything. To uh, you know, it's still a great game in the fact that you don't need to have four or five rules judges out there, but you need people to running and getting paperwork in and out um, and just helping them to keep things on
2: track and on schedule with it. Well, with the hype we had last year in the 60 players and with third edition coming out, I mean, the sky's the limit as long as we can get the space, I think.
1: And I know Pat was going to ask for 75 or 80 players to start out with. So hopefully they'll give us that. And if we can fill it up quickly, maybe we can get a little more space on top of that.
2: When Adepticon registration opens up, we need you to sign up right away. I mean, we've said this a million times, but for whatever reason, we have it in our mindset that the the, the spots are going to be there in six months. And the reality is, as soon as we fill up, we can ask for more spots. But if we don't have the spots filled up, we can't do anything about it. Exactly.
1: And just so people know, uh, I got an email in the last week or two. The hotel registration for Adepticon will, the hotel block at um, Renaissance, Will open up on Friday, August 16th at noon. So if you know you're going to be there ahead of time, you may as well Shh. go ahead and get your hotel room. I think event registration is usually the Monday night before Thanksgiving, I believe. So you've got plenty of time before the events open
3: up in November for you to register. Shannon, don't, don't tell anybody about that
2: because oh, no, I may have problems
3: getting again? a room. No, i have problems getting a room again. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, and it's it's going faster and faster. Luckily, though, there is a lot of great hotels right around the place, too. As it grows, even the, even the close ones are hard to, to get in.
1: And hopefully this year we'll have everything planned out a little more in advance, knowing, again, hoping we, we get the same draws we did last year, similar. Uh, I will plan to have plenty of pucks this year, the Adepticon Little Pucks Awards. So I'm thinking we'll probably do first through third place for paint, sports, Uh, probably general and overall also. And then I'll try to get first through third for player's choice as well. So that way we can give awards out for
2: Mantic Armies and for non-Mantic Armies, both for hobby paint. Don't forget the Westphalia Miniatures current Halfling Kickstarter is going on. When you hear this, there'll only be a few days left. So if you want to get some of those sweet Halflings on goats with wings, I mean, come on. It doesn't get any better than that, Mark. I already have my cavalry only pledge in already, Rob, so I'm upset, man. Yeah, thanks to Zorro, Patrick Zorro-Allen, because he's the one that said, hey, there's no cavalry only pledge, and Kai, we read that message and put one in. Well, let's get to a quick commercial break, and on the other side, we're going to jump in and talk about our main topic, which tonight is our memories of Kings of War.
1: I'm Shannon Shoemaker, the 2018 Adepta Class Champion, and you're listening to Counter Charge.
4: And welcome back. It's time for us to reminisce a little bit. Like Rob said before, I've got a DD bumper sticker that says, I played DD before it was cool. The four of us on this podcast, we all played Kings of War before it was cool. We did a lot of work. And I'll tell you what, the Pathfinder extraordinaire, Mike Carter, is here. He carried this entire Kings of War community on his back for many, many years. And Mike, I'm so glad that you're here with us tonight.
3: Well, thank you very much. You know, it was fun back in the day. And enjoyed doing that, going back and looking at some of my records from uh, when I got started.
2: I mean, I guess everybody knows, but, you know, Mantic way back in the day, 2009, they came out with some models, right? They came out with their elves first and they came out with some undead and they didn't have any rules back then. They just were making models like, you know, and they even had, you guys remember those little, I don't remember remember them fondly, but I remember them. The nice little discs they had on the bottom. In fact,
3: at uh, Gen Con this last weekend for Mantic Night, they were celebrating the fact it was their 10th anniversary of being at Gen Con.
2: That's awesome.
3: And if you went if you went to their Mantic Night, you actually got a special glass that said Mantic Gen Con 10th anniversary.
2: At some point, they decided, hey, we're going to make make some rules. And, you know, we've had Alicia on. We, we all know the story. He basically said he can do it in eight pages, right? So they did eventually come out with an alpha and a beta. What are your guys' thoughts on memories on the Alpha and the Beta for uh, Kings of War? I
1: had not started playing miniatures yet. I'll catch up with you guys when you get to first edition in 2012.
3: Way behind then. I
1: know. I was. I was not uh, around for the offer of the beta. What's
3: funny is, as much as I, you know, people have called me at times the Kings of War guy. Yeah, and as much as I was promoting it, I also never played the Alpha and Beta. I remember getting the booklets. I remember buying my. Um, well, they didn't even quite have the name Abyssal Dwarves when I first bought the box. They were called Chaos Dwarves with a K? Chaos Dwarves with a K, yep. It was a starter and they were voting on, and they're trying to vote on names. And I bought one at Epicon the next year. I bought another box because even back then with the booklets, I realized that big army box wasn't enough of the hybrid models to make any kind of decent units. And I was thinking about buying them to actually, you know, play them for Warhammer Chaos Dwarves. Because I always kind of liked the evil stunties, uh, so I was trying to pick them up. But I never had played the game uh, when it was still with the booklets.
4: Well, I did the alpha and beta. I remember screwing around with those um, off of Beast of War because I was really into Beast of War back then.
2: Man, they were like that was their heyday, man. That was great.
4: Oh, uh, that was fantastic. The hype was fantastic. It, you know, and it was a lot of fun dealing with that, scratch that itch. I mean, you, you, you played a game fast, so it was a lot of fun. So how about you, Rob?
2: Unlike you, Mark, I didn't actually play in the alpha. I just did the beta. And I only played a, maybe two or three games. But it was enough to see that this this is awesome. In 2010, they came out with what they call the 2010 edition. And it was a 12-page, uh, mine was color pamphlet that came in Morgoth's Revenge. Do you guys remember that starter, the, the, the two-player starter, Morgoth's Revenge? Oh, yeah. So there was a company online that was selling them, like, I don't know, it was cheap, so I ended up buying ten of them, and I split the models. Uh, I kept the undead, and I had my my friend took the the dwarves, and so there was a like almost a hundred models in the box. It was crazy. You can never have enough zombies. Uh, but yeah, so this Morgoth Revenge two player starter set had dwarves and undead. If they brought that back out today, I'd probably still buy it. There was a lot of bang for your buck there, Mark. You bought you bought that, I'm sure, right? At least one or two copies.
4: I'm looking across the room. I see one, two, three, four copies of it over there. I think there were 110 models in the entire box. Yeah, about 65 undead, along with the dreaded Balefire Catapult, which was actually good in first edition, by the way. We're not too
2: first edition yet. That's called foreshadowing. 2012 saw the release of first edition, which was a 143-page rulebook full color. I've got it in front of me. It's beautiful. It was it, it was created via Kickstarter back in 2012. And I'm sure this is when you jumped on board, Shannon.
1: I found them shortly before the Kickstarter, maybe a couple months before is when I first picked up on Mantic. I had been looking around trying to figure out, uh, I wanted to get into the tabletop gaming and trying to figure out what game I wanted to play. I tried Infinity and a game called Mercs and a couple others. And it looked at 40k as well. And then I saw they were getting ready, somewhere I saw they were getting ready to do the Kickstarter for Mantics, and I'd started checking their stuff out around that time. So I was definitely in on that first Kickstarter.
2: And I know, Mike, you were as well.
3: Oh, yeah. Um, got in heavy on that. I, I, well, uh, not as bad as I've later done, but I only spent about 250 on that first one.
2: I was right there with you. I think I did 235. Uh, but I do remember July 25th, I remember getting, did you guys remember getting the PDF of that first rulebook? It was so awesome. I, I was like, oh, so, so good. Uh, and then obviously I I don't remember exactly if if the shipment from the Kickstarter, I'm not sure when it came in. I, I want to say November, but I could be off.
1: Um, And I'm not sure if it was split up. I know I couldn't. I wanted to get an army together, kind of for Adepticon, but I didn't have a chance. I think I wanted to play Ogres first, and those may have come in a little later. I'm not sure.
2: They only had a few armies in the book. They had dwarves, elves, kingdoms of men, abyssal dwarves, goblins, orcs, twilight, kin, and undead. That was it.
3: Yeah, but remember, the the Kickstarter was great because they promised us a whole bunch of new stuff coming out that they yeah. were funding. Yeah, I remember the Ogres were the big one, and Basilians... Was another new one one of these new ones coming out?
2: Yeah, and didn't they release the Basilean? That came out in the book. Basilean Legacy. That's it. That's it. That came out through the Kickstarter as well.
3: Yes, they had that was the introducing the Basileans, the forces of nature, and the forces of the abyss. And And back back then, the abyssals had a whopping two pages in that book, and they
2: weren't anything like they are now. I'm looking at the zombie page and I'm reminiscing. They used to have a regiment of 20, a horde of 30 a swarm of 40, and an endless swarm of 60. How oh, things have changed.
3: Well, it was really nice once they started standardizing uh, some of these things. I remember back when, back in the days when the orcs were all different
2: sizes, too. They had guys of 30 and even some of 15. And back when you had uh, troops of five. One of the big things I remember was banners and musicians was, was a lo- was a lot different than it is now.
3: War games all build off other war games. Some will say they all steal ideas from each other, but everybody does it. Uh, you get good ideas from one using another one, and then your new edition builds on those guys' ideas and back and forth with it. So there were some things they got from there, and you used to actually uh, be able to purchase standards and musicians for your armies uh, and for, for your individual units, where a standard would uh, – were minus one on your opponent's nerve check. But if you had a, a musician in your attacking unit, they gave you plus one on your nerve check. So if the attacker had a musician and the defender had a standard, they cancel each other out. A lot of people that didn't like that so much, so they got rid of it in 2nd edition.
2: The negatives of 1st uh, edition. Cause, but I remember my very first tournament game was against this really, really nasty Kingdoms of Men army that had, like, I don't know how many war machines, but it was a lot.
1: Yeah, I can't remember. Six, maybe? It was I... seven.
2: Yeah, I don't think my undead army got halfway across the table before it was completely wiped out.
1: Yeah, that was pretty terrible. I didn't know what I was getting into. It was the first time I'd really played in, uh, at an event and it was also going to be timed and even then I had no idea how slow I would be. It turns out I was very slow. <laughs> yeah. So I thought oh, no hey, if I take these units I don't have to move, then surely, you know, I'll be able to play faster and I won't run into a time problem. Cuz like I say I hadn't I hadn't played any miniature games really before that. So it was a new experience for me and I just figured that would make that, make it go faster. But I didn't know how any of the units really worked together, so I can't remember. I just had a bunch of shield wall and polearm blocks, I think, with the uh, war machines back behind them, probably. Um, so the, the trouble with the war machines back then, well, A, they hit for more damage than they do now, but you could also freely pivot them in any direction before shooting. So you could... Right. If somebody wasn't in your arc of sight, had made sure they stayed out of your arc of sight, you could still, before you shot, you could pivot around and and put any unit you wanted into your arc of sight. So that made War Machines a lot lot tougher to deal with back in first edition. I guess one of the other interesting things, too, is for, I think, probably all the large infantry units, you could take singles of them. So you could take an army of like 18 solo alohi running around or 18 or 20 solo werewolves running around that were really tough to deal with too.
2: The thing I think I remember was we just had one spell zap. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so for everybody that's complaining about there's not enough variety in the spells, trust me, we've come a long way.
3: Well, no, back then, remember you, st- if you played undead, you had dark surge and you, st- and you did, and we did have heal available. Uh, but that was mainly the undead use that too. Uh, but yeah, the attack spell, that was just zap. And in fact, when they came out with, I believe it was in Kings and Legends, that they said, "Okay, let's give some variations on Zap." And so if you can take Zap, then you can then take some different variations that have actually since come into some of the ones we have now.
2: You know, and I'm looking through this old first edition book. There are some models in here that they don't they don't offer anymore, which they should. There's some really really great stuff. One of my favorites are their old whites, and I, I realize now in the game are large infantry, but back in the day they weren't. And uh, they were some cool-looking models. They had three of them, and they were metal models, and they just, they were awesome. Yeah, yeah, they looked really good.
3: Yes. The only problem is that they their profile fit large infantry, too. They were only on 20-millimeter bases, but they hit as bad as Ogres did with it.
2: You're right, nine attacks, dash 15, 180 points.
3: Yeah, so they, it's like, okay, here's something that looks like that, but now they're fighting like... You know what they should be, and so that's when they switched over.
2: Only came as a troop of three, I guess, because they had three models. But like, I'm also looking at stormer and cavalry. The horses were different back in the day than what they're selling now. So, uh, soul reavers the same thing. So it's it's interesting if you have a chance to buy one of these old first edition books. It's kind of worth the the walk down memory lane. There's some really, and if you're a twilight Kim player, I think that might have been the last time they've actually been printed in a real book.
1: One of the changes I'll never forgive the RC for is taking Inspiring away from the Goblin Whiz. They used to be so good with Inspiring. They were
3: too good back then. Oh, they were. You know, Inspiring on them was just like having uh, Defense 6 on the Elohi. That was another thing that was that was definitely needed, but man, it hit a lot of the the Sicilian players hard there.
2: War Machines were just so powerful. I mean, they were brutal. Mark, you were there for that when I lost it against Andy. When I started cussing him out, we're <laughs> taking all this garbage. Because, I mean, he had like all the war machines, and all the cavalry. They were cheap, too. I didn't realize how
1: cheap they were till I was looking at the book tonight. Well, yeah, they had the crushing strength, no uh,
4: thunderous charge, so they just went in there yeah. and ground your face off.
1: For example, Stormwind Cavalry was basically the same stat line they have now, except crushing strength two instead of thunderous charge two, and they were only 170 points for a regiment instead of, I think, what are they, 215 now? So, well, in a 2000-point everything- army... But I can't, did we play it 1,500, 2,000? I can't remember what points level we played. Yeah, we
3: had 2,000. Um, I think what happened with it, and I think this is actually the rumors. uh, You can close your ears, Mark. If you like, the rumors are that, like from first to second edition, for second to third, a lot of points are going up. And that's what happened in first to second edition. A lot of the point values went up as they were balancing yeah. things out. It
2: was a good time, though. I, I really I really did enjoy first edition because it felt like um, I had gotten in on the ground floor. When we went to a tournament, like those first few tournaments, we're, and we're going to chat about those tournaments in a minute, but when we went to those first few tournaments, there was a small crew of us that were playing, and like we were all kind of on the same page. Of course, you know, I think Shannon figured out the puzzle a little bit faster than the rest of us.
1: Uh, I think that was the last time I really did that. Once I saw how bad it was <laughs> I dropped the, I dropped the war machines after that event I believe because then I, I can't remember did I switch to goblins probably pretty quickly after that I think I played goblins a lot with trolls
2: first time I played you it was with the, your kingdoms event and I think the next year you played goblins what other thoughts did we miss on you know first edition mark
4: you want to chime in yeah i loved first edition so it had its faults but it had its charm i mean it you know low point of rules and you know one of the things was you're right rob those early tournaments remember when we went to uh we go to Ocon mm-hmm. and uh you know there was only like
2: 12 of us playing but It was everybody fun.
3: everybody wanted to be there wanted to be there oh yeah those good ones you know not many people but they we had a lot of fun there
2: the good old days
4: yeah, Mike, what was the name of that one that you ran down in Dayton? It was down, in, I think, in Springfield. I forget, LGF.
3: Yeah, the Legendary Game Fair.
4: Yeah, that was they one were of the to favorite tournaments ever. You played the ringer and crushed my face. <laughs> <laughs> that was back when I could still win. <laughs> <laughs> but I'll tell you what, Mike brewed the best beer I have ever tasted at a tournament, so... Uh, he compensated me for that loss, but that was some terrific beer, and uh, that was such a good time. That really was. We all got together for the picture, and you know it was just all, so much fun. And it was a Warhammer tournament. Kyle and I just came down to play Kings of War, and then we left. <laughs> so, but uh, oh, that that was probably my uh, well, yeah, that one and the first Ocon when we played a thousand point Kings of War, and I brought my Twilight Ken. That was, I think those are my top two uh well no i've got more memories but we're going to talk about those i first edition for me was a lot of fun and i i really liked it it was a you know it was good to be on the ground floor and uh it was just and we got all those supplement books and it was just a cool time to be a,
2: a mantic fan so which is kind of how uh mantic radio came about fast forward a few years 2015 saw the release of 2nd Edition, uh, which, again, was a Kickstarter, and that Kickstarter went bonkers. It ended up creating a 207-page rulebook uh, in 2015. But this time, I was more reserved. I, you know, I think I only spent 145 bucks. I got the book, and, and an Abyssal Army, I remember. But if I recall correctly, you went a little crazy. Yes, I went a little nuts.
4: I was all in on Kings of War, as you heard. I loved 1st Edition, so when 2nd Edition came out. I was all excited. went all in. Um, And I didn't have that big of a pledge. I was probably in for a couple hundred bucks, something like that. And I was really eyeing that $850 ultimate tyrant pledge. And my wife looked at me and said, it's your Christmas present. Go for it. So I ended up with the ultimate tyrant pledge, plus probably a couple extra hundred dollars worth of add-on. So I was just short of a grand. uh, going. Was that the painted pledge? No, that was just all the raw army. You were getting a, you were getting a full army for a hundred dollars.
3: Yeah, I know. It was I was one hell of a deal. I was in for all the new models, and actually, I keep doing that on their kickstarters. It, it's a new model. I want it, uh, and I want a unit of them, uh, regardless of of what they're coming out for. So we haven't been so much about getting more of their existing stuff, uh, but yeah, when new stuff came out. I want units of it. And surprisingly, some of that
4: stuff from that 2015 Kickstarter just came out, uh, like the uh, bolt thrower for the Bassa Lands that just got released. That was one of the models we got back in
3: 2015 with the Kickstarter. So that that, that was, was the last thing from the Kickstarter to be released. Go back it. to 2012 and the Twilight Kin. They actually funded the Dark Knights. And if you bought them through the Kickstarter, you got a, you know, I, I got a troop of Dark Knights from them that are actually in my Twilight Kin demo army. They were never released until a couple of years ago when they announced the Abyssal Horsemen for the Abyss. And anybody who remembers is those are the Twilight Kin Dark Knights, rebranded and now officially released for the Force of the Abyss instead of Twilight Kin
4: absolutely yeah mine have mine have purple capes
3: so yes so do my well of course twilight yeah yeah they're purple
4: (laughs) (laughs) yeah but i really i went bananas on that i remember taking all the pictures for twitter and posting up all the pictures and i was doing my unboxings and oh it was such a good time hordes and hordes of plastic i am still working through it by the way so (laughs) but um yeah, I'm looking at the pile right now, so it's terrific. It, there was so much plastic goodness, you know. But I'm looking through that, and it's like, you know, the dwarfs and stuff like that. I've already got a ton of those guys, so I never really got into those as much. But that's where my ogre army came from, was from that, and uh, working at that's where my forces of nature that I'm painting right now that came all from there. So, uh, but yeah, that was great. I, I really enjoyed that Kickstarter. It was a lot of fun. And uh, surprisingly,
2: the Kings of War Kickstarters were not really big hitters for Mantic. You know what, though? I would say from the beginning, they always demonstrated a good competency for Kickstarter. Whether that was, I guess it was Chris Palmer, I think, that ran them back in the day. They were really well executed. They had all their stretch goals pretty well laid out. They had good communication. And they did deliver, uh, unlike some Kickstarters that never deliver. They were always good. They focused
3: on, this is the product. And I do believe that they that for all their kickstarters, they've laid out everything in advance. There's none of the you know while it may sound like oh this is a surprise and we don't it's like no every stretch goal they knew what they're what they know what they're doing they know what their plan is they're not adding a whole lot of extra crap that's not related to it. Uh, I've heard of so many kickstarters that we can get the product out but trying to get the t-shirts and the dolls and this and that and and things are what's killing them. Mm -hmm. Uh, For me, go ahead. And Mantic doesn't do that anymore. It's like, this is all straight related to the product we want, and we're not going to reveal them to you. And that's why some of them have got to the point where, yeah, we're done. You're keeping giving us money, but we have nothing else to reveal on it because they're not going to get in with with what they haven't planned.
2: For second edition for me was a pretty important point for my wargaming kind of career, because at that point I was doing Kings of War, Every Kings of War event I was trying to hit, but then I was also still doing a few Warhammer events. But I remember distinctly, like in July of that year, 2015, we got the digital rulebook. And I remember it hit the weekend of Buckeye Battles, which was a big event in, in uh, I guess it's Delaware, Ohio. And I remember sitting there. And Mark, you were there that year, weren't you? Yes, I was there. We ran demo games. We didn't have any armies, so we're like, well, we'll just bust out these dwarves and these undead and we'll just we'll just try to teach you and I remember it was uh, Kenny Law was there I mean just a whole bunch of people um, some of some are still in, in the King's War community some are playing other games but I remember that that was kind of the defining moment for me was like okay I, I'm I'm done with Warhammer at this point I distinctly got to the the passage about counter charge and I was like wait a minute so all those games in first edition where they were kicking me out my teeth and I couldn't do anything about it because they would hit me and they would move around me and I'd hit me and it I had I had a way to respond now I could just counter charge and I was so excited you know Buckeye Battles was like after that I only had one other fantasy tournament and that was Rock Wars in 2015 and I had already paid for it That was it for me. I don't know about uh, you Mark, but that was the last of Warhammer for me.
4: yeah, I'm not quite sure what my last Warhammer tournament was to be honest with you i I'd have to think about that. You know, I know we played at Ocon and uh, Buckeye Battles, but yeah, I I don't remember. So, I mean, it, we, you know, I was just always into Kings of War from the beginning. So, you know, the greatest joy for me was seeing people actually go, Kings of War is cool. I'm going to play that. And that was the big thing for me. It was finally, you know, like justification for my obsession with the game, you know, and stuff like that. And finally, I didn't have to play Warhammer anymore. You know, I think I came in third from the bottom (laughs) here at Buckeye. So, (laughs) but uh, Colin, Colin did better than I did that year. But uh, yeah, I mean, Warhammer was fun, but I don't know. Kings of War just, you know, I like the multi-bases and I just, it's a lot more casual, a lot more fun and a lot. Ah, uh, cleaner rule set, and that's what I really appreciated about it. So
2: the barrier for entry for a casual player is lower with Kings of War, right? You could potentially not play that many games, but you come back to the table. The game's not that complicated. You can have a basic understanding. Not granted, you, you might lose some games, but with Warhammer, if you weren't up to date with the latest FAQ, you know, or the latest army book, you were probably going to lose. So second edition, though, you know, thinking about it, though, you know, I I have a lot of negative emotions around first edition, you know, uh, with some of the some of the broken stuff. But I think second edition, they really did a good job of fixing a lot of those issues. And obviously with the three Clash of Kings books that we got in 2017, 18 and 19, they were able to annually just tweak the game and keep it fresh. So what are your thoughts on second edition?
3: One of the things that the strengths that I got out of that was the the public playtesting they did. That they had, you know, they opened the full, um, uh, for what, four months, five months, of uh, play testing of the basing, And then when they did Uncharted Empires, they did it again. I remember coming back from Origins, I was exhausted and checked my email and there was the army list for Ratkin. And I'm suddenly running downstairs, digging out the Skaven. I never finished, never finished painting to figure out a list to try to play them with it, Uh um, and I uh, was really excited about that. I'm actually a little concerned on third edition. I know they've got some really sharp playtesters out there. Um, I, I know who a few of them are, in fact. Um, but it's it's not a public one. And that there's a little bit that, that worries me on that because it doesn't have that, that broad of feedback you were getting from it from all over on it.
2: Yeah, the more playtesters you have, the better it's going to be, right?
3: Yeah, Now, and and some of them, you know, weren't always great playtesters with it. And some people just got in there to complain, oh, I hate this. Well, have you tried it? No, I noticed no it's wrong. Well, no, get out there and try it. And at least the current playtesters are ones that do a lot of games and can try all the options for it. But it's still, Absolutely. when it's only a few people... You sometimes wonder, especially with some of the different um, meta that exists in different areas, because the UK plays
2: differently than we than they do here and even in, di- in different regions here. Mm-hmm. Second edition was great, though. I mean, I, th- and I think that 2019 book really set a high level with, you know, they, those that may not remember, they actually had Siege Rules in the very first edition. And so they've brought siege rules back to the game, which which was great. And they've added a lot more complexity and depth with with all the you know the spells and and all that stuff. Shannon, chime in. You've played a lot of Second Edition.
1: Uh Second Edition was a huge improvement over First. I think uh, they cleaned up a lot of a lot of issues, obviously. And I think the game was a lot more enjoyable. Uh, obviously, for me coming from First and never having played Warhammer, I'm a little hesitant for them to get. Too many spells added because I don't want magic to become a huge part of the game or take over the game. So far, it hasn't been too bad, but I know it's it's tough to get some of it. It seems like every year, one or two spells have slipped through. I know we had the Blood Boil year. This year, it looks like it may be Blizzard, which actually started off pretty reasonably, uh, but nobody took it. And then I know even a couple... Um, guys had asked me my opinion on uh, Blizzard, and I thought, yeah, D6 won't be a problem, right? And then I played against it and realized, okay, yeah, it's the average isn't a problem, but as soon as you skew high rolls a couple of turns in a row, it becomes a problem. So uh, hopefully they'll watch out for that. Uh, I just wouldn't want to see spells taking over the role of, of units. I know shooting being a problem for some people maybe, but I'd still rather see that damage coming from a unit of archers or mounted archers than from a single
2: mage. And for those that have never played Warhammer, you know, 8th edition, you know, I, I would define, it well, there's a lot of things you could define it about, but, like, the big spells, you know, the very, like, we would call you six-dice monkey, where you're just trying to roll as many dice as possible, because if you roll two sixes, it, w- it, w- it was cast with irresistible force. And you literally could delete a unit. You know, if Purple Sun hits a unit of ogres, you're not going to have any ogres left. They're They're going to be dead.
3: Of course, your mage may die, too, but...
2: And plus your mage may die too, but you know, I'll take the trade off. Yeah, <laughs> if I can kill a legion of ogres. Uh, but you know, I think uh, you know, historically, I, I when I look back on the various editions of Warhammer, it was in some regards hero hammer, right? Heroes were integrated into the units and were really there as protectors of the units, whereas you know, and they were the combat beasts and stuff. And uh, in Kings of War, I've always appreciated that they were more of. I don't want to call them accessory, but they're 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 more of a support role. Yes, there's been some exceptions that maybe have slipped through the cracks, but in general, the the heroes aren't going to win you the game um, by themselves. Which in Warhammer, if you had the right characters, you absolutely could win the game, regardless of what troops and units you took. So. Um, yeah, I'm right there with you. I hope they don't go overboard. I think it's difficult because, you know, on one hand, you want to have a more narrative game that has a lot of characterful decisions to make, right? But when, and on the other hand, and, and on the other side of that, you obviously want a tournament game, which is well-balanced. And sometimes those are mutually exclusive. And so if you're the pendulum too far to, you know, loads and loads of spells, those are just too many variables that you have to balance. And it just... Uh, becomes unwieldy and and you end up with uh, Warhammer which you know Warhammer uh, how many spells Mark Mike you guys chime in um 100 spells? I don't remember it was a lot. You had eight you had the what eight
3: wars uh, with six spells each and then each faction had another like six spells they could take. So yeah, you know, if you were and you mentioned before, if you weren't up not only on all the the FAQs, but you had to be up in all the army books to even know what somebody was throwing at you. Uh, and it was it was just getting ridiculous there. And I, and I know that you people about- used to talk, used to call fifth edition uh, hero hammer. Uh, and I think they were getting back to that point again.
4: Well, I can, I remember playing Bill Robertson and he was playing Nurgle and he was throwing these spells. I'm like, what the hell are these spells? I never heard of them before. And you're right, Mike. I mean, you had to be on top of everything. And then they had the spell cards and all that kind of stuff. And oh, it was out of control. It really, and that's the one big, I share that fear with Shannon. Uh, you know, we saw that one little, uh, clip from third edition today in the release. It says spell, uh, what is it? Tears of magic or caster tears to be in a future supplement, not in this book, but in a future supplement. It's like
2: <laughs> I'm optimistic about that because potentially you could use that rule if you had all the, the, the spell casters in a tier system, you could have the really strong spells only be used by the higher tiered models so you could prevent the spamming of some of the more potent spells because you can't take it on the cheap tier you know the cheap ratkin guys i think they know what they're doing and they know that we don't want them to mess it up they don't want to mess it up great let's add a little bit more character but let's keep kings of war what makes kings of war great which is units of troops i want units of troops to be the deciding factor in the game not spells not war machines
3: and there he introduced this if you realize that with uh cot 19 was the fact that they had the legendary spells, and so if you look at that, that's already a tier system on it, and I think that really helped correct a lot of the issues. Because I've never liked Blood Boil, but it's it's a good spell, and it's nasty. When you have one, when you suddenly now have four and five of them, that's when it's completely broken.
2: I think part of the thing that maybe Mantic didn't get their head around is that, you know, when you open it up to the tournament scene. Let's be honest, there's a lot of guys in our scene that don't have a lot of self-restraint. You know, you've got to make the puzzle harder.
1: It's the stacking and the skew sometimes, right? And I get it because Nick ran the numbers a lot with Blood Boil, and I know he argued the other side of it on the forums a lot. But So the average doesn't look bad, but the problem is when you have three of them, okay, the first guy does X amount of wounds, the next guy does X plus one, the next guy does X plus two, then you're looking at a lot of stuff stacking up. And it, I know some people have had the same issue with, Uh, the the multipliers that you get out of magic items, right? So for a horde that's already got good stats, and then you put a magic item on it at 25 points, it gets a lot more value out of it than that same magic item would be on a uh, different, say, a regiment in another army, or even a horde in another army that doesn't have the same level of stats. For example, Elite on uh, Soul Reavers or uh, Mounted Sons of Corrigan is just going to be so much better than Elite on... Revenant cavalry, for example, where no one will ever put it there, but but nonetheless
3: you run into those those multipliers. Well, and I think I've already seen some stuff, and I think even some of the pages had implied this that they've started to leak out, that they're now going to scale the cost of a lot of these magic items. Yes. I think that's so good that too. if you want yep. yeah, if you want on a horde, it's gonna cost you 50 points. You know, a troop's gonna cost you twenty, a regiment may cost you twenty five, a horde's gonna cost you forty points for the same thing. And that really helps to balance yeah. that out.
1: Yeah, because there were a lot of items you would never take on a regiment because they were just, the multiplier was so much more on a horde. If you were going to take that item, you took a horde with it. This will allow people to take items on different sized units uh, without, it'll be more balanced or whatever, right? You'll be more likely to see them on, on lower priced units that aren't getting the maximum out of a, a, an item that has just one price.
3: Or they're just costing more on the bigger units. So, you know, it's a, you know, where now it's a 25 point item, regardless of who you put it on. It's a 25 point on a regiment, but it's a 40 point item on a horde. And that can help control that a bit too.
4: You can only take one of them now. I mean, can you take one at each level, or is it just one? And if you put it on a regiment too bad, you can't have it on the horde? Do you see anything about that yet?
3: I've not seen anything about that. And again, I, you know, this is, I've heard a little bit about this and then. Um, and part of it was seeing the thing about the abyssal imps and it was on one of the pages there and they cost different depending on the size of the unit you were adding them
2: to well let's keep rolling uh so obviously 2015 was a big year that was kind of the the big shot in the arm for us we got 2015 the second edition but we're on the cusp of 2019's third edition 400 page rule book sometime in october and the biggest thing and and i i gotta i gotta Tip tip of the hat, as they say, to Mantic. No Kickstarter. I think that's that's a sign of where we are as a community that they don't need a Kickstarter. I you know I think if they did go back to that well again, I know I'm already kind of I'm had a lot of Kickstarter fatigue at this point, and so I don't know. What are you guys thinking about? You know, we touched a little bit on third edition, but um, how excited are you for the new rulebook?
3: I can't wait for October 18th.
1: Yeah, it'll be great. Um, I'm not necessarily a huge fluff guy, but. Having 200 pages of history and and whatever else is going on will be fun to read just to see what the background is for some of the armies and different regions of the world and I suppose they'll take us out well beyond just the Mantica region now into the rest of Panathor maybe not all of it but the I'm sure they're going to reveal much wider parts of the world so it will be a it will be an interesting read I'm um, excited to see it.
4: Shannon's not as excited, but like Shannon, uh, you know, 200 pages of fluff is cool. Cause I, I am the fluff guy. So I'm excited about that. And I have a lot of faith in the rules committee in particular, a couple members of the rules committee, not to screw this up. So I'm excited to see what they come up with. And we've already talked about the differences between first and second edition. So going from second to third edition, I'm hoping that we keep that momentum going and they make it better. Uh, as far as that goes. So I'm hoping my one hope is that they don't make it more complicated, I just want it better. So and they did and they did that successfully with the uh, annual updates that they had come out. Um, it really made the game better. It gave everybody a shot in the arm and you know, it's probably time for third edition, you know, after uh, some update books, they need to incorporate all those erratas and points changes and everything else in the game. And uh, really get it going. So I'm excited to see it. It's going to be fun. I I do. I'm happy it's not going to Kickstarter because I think the hobby shops or, you know, people will actually go and try to get it from their hobby shop as opposed to the hobby shop saying, but you guys all bought it on Kickstarter. Why am I going to stock it?
2: This will be the first time that I'm going to buy a load of Mantic stuff through my local store because there's an opportunity, you know, pre-orders will go up. We'll get a list together as a group, what we want him to order. And uh, I, I'm super excited. And like I said, that two-player starter set is fantastic looking.
4: Oh, yeah. I'll, I'm going to definitely snag that up. Uh, very, I love starter sets. So I'm very excited to get that. Uh, I've already got a ton of Night Stalkers. But, you know, hey, how can you ar- argue with Plastic, uh, Northern Alliance, and you'll get the some rules for their guys inside that box too. So that will be very cool as well. So I'm excited about the army lists and uh, you know, we're getting more armies in this edition. So I'm kind of looking forward to seeing, you know, uh, what those new armies are. I, I mean, they're expanding beyond the continent into the world. So, I mean, the world has got to come up with, a heck of a lot more than five armies. So it's going to be very interesting to see what they do with the whole thing. So that's what I'm excited about. And I'm hoping the game's a good one. So I hope they just clean it up. And, you know, from what I've seen, you know, the bubbles, uh, that's cute. They could have not done that. And I would have been fine with that, but you know, so they are making some little tweaks and changes here. So uh, we just hope my, the one thing I hated in Warhammer was uh, mage levels, one, two, three, and four. So I'm hoping we're not going there. But eh, if we do, if it's not bad, I'll live with it. So, but that's eh, kind of exciting. So, Rob, what are your thoughts?
2: No, I'm just, I'm I'm right there with you guys. I'm just ready for the book, ready for the starter army. I'm ready for all the, the new models. I'm, I'm ready for the excitement, the hype. The hype is real. It's palatable. We have to wait six more weeks to see what the other four new armies are now that we know Northern Alliance. I did notice that they got a lot of flack online about that, but I'm thinking... I guess you're spoiled <laughs> because, uh, you know, Yeah. I mean, come on, guys. You know, obviously, they're going to focus on the armies they make models for. There are, I'm air quoting here, Mantic IP, right? And so then, and then you've got the rest of them. Um, was surprised to see Kingdoms of Men move to the other book. But in retrospect, thinking about it, it makes a lot of sense. They're not going to make a Kingdoms of Men army. So why would they put them in the main rule book?
3: I always felt it should have been there because they they're not their army. It's their... For people who already have the armies.
2: Guys, let's take a quick commercial break on the other side. We're going to jump in and talk about some of our favorite tournaments. I'm Ronnie from Monte Games, and you're listening to Counter Welcome back. Some of my favorite memories
4: were the early Kings of War Clash of Kings tournaments that were held at
3: Adepticon. Mark, were they called Clash of Kings back then? No. Yeah, what were they, Mike? The first ones, they were just... They were just at Adepticon. They weren't I don't think they were Clash of Kings yet. Oh.
0: I don't think well, they even
3: come up with that when they started.
0: That I very remember.
4: First, yeah, that very first one they had the $1000 prize that was on the line.
3: So Oh, I was so and mad my, that I couldn't make that I couldn't play in that tournament. I, I had was, the painted army. I was ready to go and they had to go right up against the full Warhammer one, which is when I had my beard dwarves premiering. And right. it's like I spent all year making them and and brewing the beer and everything with it. I couldn't give up showing those off then, even to playing that. And only three people were there.
4: Yeah, yeah, it was amazing. I don't know how how they plugged that fourth player, but yeah, it was. Uh, I think while there were four players, somebody had to be the ringer. And yeah. but
2: yeah, and everybody won a prize. It was like yes, and cash prize too. 2013. That was the first big. A big, I'm, <laughs> I don't know if that's the right term, but it was definitely the first. Kings of War at a big convention like that.
1: Do you know who ran that one, Mike? I'm not sure who ran it. I was there. Well, Mantic,
3: ran, Mantic ran that. I'm uh, not sure, I'm not sure who Nancy was the actual there. organizer yeah. of it. Um, they were doing mm-hmm. that,
2: and you know, it was after that that I picked it up. was anybody remember who won the $1,000? Brian Papsiak
1: ended up winning, but... He had already lost to Kevin earlier, and I don't remember Kevin's last name. They were both local Chicago guys, and they'd been playing against each other quite a bit up to that point, and I think they ended up splitting it. Basically, they went into it. If one of us wins, we'll split it, I believe, was was how they had set it up. And then I know Grant Smith was in it, and I'm not sure who the fourth player was that was in that first one.
2: 2014 saw the entrance of Mr. Mike Carter, and we had...
4: Yay! Fanfare! This is one of my favorite tournaments ever.
2: Ever. Yeah, it was great. I I've got some good stories. So, but I, I do want to mention it does say on the war score two thousand fourteen Clash of Kings at Adepticon. So that might have been the year that they added the Clash of Kings moniker to the to the event. That might have been then. Yeah. In this event, we had ten players, and uh, I finished a whopping sixth. And Mark, you finished third, my friend.
4: I fi- I podiumed. Yeah. Uh, this is like. I got to admit, this is my only podium, guys. So, <laughs>
2: But I, but I, in my defense, in my defense, I played Shannon Shoemaker in the first game, and I believe he tabled me. I'm not sure. Uh, he may not have tabled me, but he killed pretty much everything in my army.
4: I will never, ever forget you coming over to me and you going, my entire army got blown away and I never made it across the half line. It was undead like, not supposed to do that. But I think you won a prize for that.
3: Oh, and I was giving out prizes every time weird stuff
2: was happening. Too. First Insane Courage, uh, you know, first routed in combat, mm-hmm. all kinds of good stuff. Uh, first routed by a war engine. Oh, that's what I got. First routed by war engine. So I'm assuming that would have been Shannon, Mr. Shannon Shoemaker, who uh, routed me. Probably. Too sweet. What are your guys' memories of that, that event? That was a fun event. David Ball with Dwarves won it, but you know he's no longer really part of our group. Yeah, I remember he's one of the first
3: times you had people that didn't read the packet because we had already implemented in there. It was not an official because they didn't have the Clash of Kings or anything the the books coming out yet. But we'd already started to take in the the factor of saying, okay, let's limit war engines, monsters, and heroes to three of any single type. And he came in with six cannons. So had to go back. And actually I gave him one of my demo ones and he swapped out three of the cannons for three organ guns. Okay. That's still pretty devastating. Yeah.
4: Absolutely. I remember in the, uh, in the second round I played the winner of the clash of Kings from the previous year that won the money. And then in the last round I got to play Shannon shoemaker and his war machines of death. I remember Mike after the tournament saying, you know, you and Shannon were on the top table and Shannon and I tied and that's how David sprung to the top of the uh, list to win the tournament because we've uh, battled to a tie. And uh, and that was a great game, Shannon. I don't know if you remember it, but uh, that was – I I never sweated so much during a game in my life because <laughs> those war machines were awful. And I was playing the Abyssal Dwarfs and, I mean, I was just trying to kill those war machines. That's what was uh, I was all about killing those war machines, so – uh, my abyssal half-free champion was just running rampant along the back, and uh, I think you had paladins or something like that. They were just kicking my butt. I mean, it was that was a great game. Maybe and, foot
1: uh, guard, yeah, yeah, it foot been guard, maybe. Immense list. Yeah,
4: and yeah. the one thing I remember is you were playing with the clock, and. Uh, cause we didn't really have to, and you were like practicing to be on the clock. That's one of my memories of that tournament. <laughs> it's
3: like,
4: you don't have to be on a clock. What are you doing? It's like, I've got to practice. I got to practice. <laughs> <laughs> so you could see the early Shannon shoemaker coming out in there. And actually the picture that's on the, uh, lock screen on my iPad is the picture of everyone holding up their awards at that tournament. So I got a great picture on there of, uh. You know, Rob's in that picture and uh, Shannon's in that picture. Kyle, Colin won Best Painted Army that year. So right. uh, it was a great year. And my favorite memory of that tournament, everybody remembers the undead player who was smashing his wolves uh, on the floor.
2: Because <laughs> in that game, I played him in the last round. Shannon can attest, I don't know how to play this game. So I'm just pushing my stuff forward and his stuff's dying. And he's getting more and more angry. And all of a sudden, stuff goes flying all over the place. And he's throwing it on the floor and he's stomping in the ground and he's, it was the crazy, the most insane thing I've ever seen. But thanks to him, I did get several new werewolves out of it.
4: I actually have a werewolf head from that uh, apocalypse <laughs> and uh, he uh, ended up at the top of a banner <laughs> so as a trophy what was he screaming like you're never gonna fail me again
2: (laughs) (laughs) he was intense for sure for sure oh absolutely and that's uh, jeremy came in second and it was like the first time he ever played King. yeah jeremy got shocked but to be fair he just played basileans and everybody knows that basileans is an easy button let's be honest come on
3: well first edition they were they said your, D- your defense 6 elahi on there was just uh, uh, almost unstoppable.
2: So, yeah, Mark, you finished one higher than Shannon, which I don't think that would ever happen again.
1: <laughs> Never <laughs> maybe, in a
4: million years. Never, maybe ever, in ever,
1: Foreshadowing that maybe in 2015, if, you, if we go down to that one.
2: Let's take a look. So next year, 2015. So we, we started with four players in 2013. We went to 10 players in 2014. In two thousand. 15, we had 18 players. Shannon Shoemaker, 16 out of 18. You know, here's what I'm looking at, and I remember now. I'm almost positive you had goblins, and you had a hard time not clocking out. That's what I think happened.
1: Yeah, I can't remember. the uh, First game, I played Bill, and I Foreman, who's local, and I think that might have been around a draw, or maybe a draw with me just a little bit up on attrition. I can't remember. And then the second game, I know I lost, and then... I've wiped it from my memory, but you said I timed out against you in the third game, so I
2: think you yeah. did or it was really close. I'm not sure. I I you know, I finished uh ninth out of eighteen. <laughs> right there at the countercharger spot. I'm consistent. Mark, where are you on this list? I don't even see Mark. No, I'm not on that list. So I don't know what happened, you know.
4: So you know me, I'm not a big fan. I think did we have more games or was it just three games again? So I like those one day, that year. yeah. I like those one day three games. I don't know what I was doing in 2015. I have to go back and look. So, if it was a Kyle
1: year, then I wouldn't have played for sure. So,
2: I do see that Kara Brown won the event, and our buddy Andrew Sherman came in second with his Men uh, list. So, it was 2015 the year he played Ronnie? S- uh, yes. And also it was the year in the first round he played the ringer, which was Joe Neat, if you remember. And I, if I recall, he didn't play the scenario and I think he ended up losing that game.
3: That was hilarious at the end because, uh, Andrew had the game one at the, at the, when he started his, uh, the top turn six, he had the game in hand and Joe, there was no way Joe could win it. He knew it. But Joe then threw out this unit of ogres just accidentally in charge range of one of Andrew's units. and you know just just right out there and andrew's like kill him kill him rushed off the objective with his unit to go kill these ogres and then suddenly looked at it and it was a draw Mm -mm 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 -mm. because he pulled him off the objective and all andrew had to do was not go for the bait and for a couple of years there we call that being (laughs) sherman
4: absolutely
3: You got too excited about you want to kill somebody and lost, you know, you weren't paying attention to the objectives and watch Joni pull him off and pull the draw out of, a, out of a loss on that by just tempting him. And he couldn't resist that temptation. Yeah, that was hilarious.
2: Awesome. That was a great event. Uh, and then in 2016, wow, 35 players. And that was won by Corey Reynolds. And Shannon, this is the year you got good. You uh, You finished second place.
1: Yep. Something about the Warhammer players coming over,
2: I guess I got got better that year. Because in 2015, the event was held before the second edition book was out. So 2015, we still were playing first edition. But 2016, we got a real second edition. At that point, they had already killed Fantasy. You know, AOS was a thing. And many people flocked to Kings of War as, as a replacement for Ranks and Flanks. And what are your guys' memories of that event?
1: That's the one that I've first remember several of the games that I played. That was a really fun event. Um, it was a big deal. I guess I had gone up to Wapaca in January, I think. Wapaka's well, in January, so I had played against Chris up there. Uh, I'm not sure any of the other guys. Uh, I played against Chris and Todd Warren up there, but Todd was local, so I already knew him. Um, Chris Kapsner. But then at Adepticon, of course, there's going to be a much bigger event and a lot of Warhammer refugees coming over. So I know there was a little bit of back and forth between, I think a little bit of back and forth between the old first edition Kings of War players and then the um, Warhammer players coming over to see a little rivalry maybe, right, to see who was better with years of experience and so forth at playing the game. So I guess Corey proved the Warhammer guys were better because
3: he took it down. And that was the year we moved to two days at a depth time as well.
1: Yep, six games. But it was a lot of fun, and I played John Carter uh, on the top table last day, and we drew, and then that's when Corey Reynolds jumped us into first.
3: <laughs> that was the second. Yeah, it was the second year John went and was on the top table and couldn't pull it out at Adepticon. He did that several times.
2: And then in 2017, we had 28 players. Uh, Eric Harbridge won, and then I see Shannon Shoemaker second place again. What's going on, man? Are you just you're just a second place guy? Second place was my, my
1: hangout, I guess. Uh, I did play Eric in that one. Good game. Uh, terrain, we were using some huge hills. I don't think they were Mike's hills. They were Adepticon hills. And the snare that we played with Dominate, the hills were around the middle. So it was a kind of a mess to get our units into the Dominate circle in that game. But, uh, yeah, it was a lot of fun. And I think that was the first year I played... Maybe the first time, even I'd played Jesse Cornwell. I'm not sure, and I know we played back-to-back years at Adepticon, so that was a lot of fun too. And I remember at least two or three of those games as well. Um, different uh, game against Eric, game against Jesse, game against Kyle and and Michelle that I played that year.
2: And then in 2018, we we had 24 players, and this was your year, Shannon. You finally broke through yeah, yeah, Eric didn't come back that year, so I guess that was my opportunity to to get through. And again, you finished one higher than Jesse because I see in 2017 he was in third place right behind you at second and this one you finished first and he finished second.
1: So I don't know why he wasn't first at Adepticon
2: 2019. We'll have to follow up on that one. 2019 though, what a what a jump. 61 players. I mean that's guys, that's that's a lot that's that's moving up there go from 24 to 61. Um, and, and I imagine 2020 is going to be even bigger. Uh, Cause I mean, I, I think with third edition, I think there's just going to be a lot of hype.
3: And at this point now you've really got Mantic finally pushing it. it was in 19 was that they said, yes, we need to start advertising. We need to start pushing the event. We need to give a big, you know, they weren't going to give a thousand dollars again, but let's give some big prize with the uh, uh, trip to the UK
2: community really got behind it as well. And I think made a concerted effort to say, look, Let's give Mantic something back. We're gonna we're gonna make Adepticon a thing. And I think I'm I'm excited about what the future holds. Also, they'd made
3: they'd uh, kind of come into a agreement with the Masters because up until then there was kind of this thing of which is the championship, because Mantic claimed Adepticon was the championship. Of course, Masters was saying Masters was the championship. And finally Ronnie came out on this and says, No, look at it like golf. You have the Invitational, which is the Masters, and you have the Open, which is Adepticon. They're both championships, but they're different. And I think they finally that everybody accepted that, and now people are saying yes, we want to use that, and it's a good part of the Masters scoring, and it's important to do not as um, not competing against the Masters with it. And I, I and I like to think all this is is the good reason why the. Uh, attendance really increased and not because shannon took over as the lead for the tournament
2: instead of me that year. <laughs> well ma- maybe it's because Shan- they knew you wouldn't have to play shannon <laughs> i doubt that huge huge congratulations to chris kapsner the second place guy tim smith who you know maybe not the guy we really want to send over to the uk as a spokesman but he'll do
1: he'll give him a good view of american culture i don't know who we could send who would Do a better job of that. That's true. Well, you know, it's a lot better than sending the guy who's
4: uh, finished in third place to the UK. For sure. We didn't want
1: uh, Nick to win a ticket back to the... Yeah, <laughs> Nick Williams, he get a ticket back. <laughs> so,
4: <laughs> so, Nick, and then uh, because Tim took the uh, slot with the best Mantic Army, that let our own Jeremy Duvall slide into third place at Adepticon. So.
1: And, of course, you can never let Keith hear the end of losing to Herd with Elves in the final round. So I just have to drop that in.
2: So let's let's switch gears a little bit. let's talk about Manticon that was a an earlier event that had a lot of good players. I guess the first one Mike was 2016 is that right? Yes, there were only the only unfortunately there were only the two of them uh the first one set was in 16. Yeah
3: I'd gone to and what had happened is I talked to Gavin uh running to Gavin at Nashcon when I was running the event there because I seem to remember somebody from Tennessee, Kept bugging me, come down, come run, run even first in Nashcon, come run even in Nashcon. I did, and he didn't play in it.
2: And Nashcon would have been, you know, uh, Memorial Day. So we hadn't gotten second edition out yet, I don't think. But yes, you did come down run and run and so and you got you got hooked up with Gavin Gossett, who uh, created this really cool event. It was a very unique for those that have been there, it was a very unique venue. It was Henry Horton, State Park. In Chapel Hill, Tennessee, and it had like this old timey lodge. And we just, it was a grand old time. You know, it was it was a really, really fun event. And believe it or not, it was the only event I've ever won in my life. Yeah, it was a great time. We had 29 players, and uh, we did follow up in the second year. I can't remember how many players we had in the second year
3: 38. Yeah, got even bigger. Uh, and yeah, worked real <laughs> bad. And of course, you remember the old cry when you rolled uh, snake eyes
2: Hip, hip, you suck. You suck. <laughs> And everybody, everybody got the the uh, uh, Mantic Buck, Manticon Bucks for it. Gavin is a master tournament promoter and stuff. And if you haven't met him, he's he's a hoot to be around. He's gregarious and he just his his smile is infectious. So it's kind of weird because a lot of our events are kind of you know two three years and then they kind of phase out for something new.
3: Well, it's Manticon is one of those things that it suffered from the success of the whole system with it because what was going on it was. It went over three days, but was not really because really all you had to do was play on Saturday. You buy and just be on Saturday. Uh, the Friday night game didn't. You you actually could get rid of one score on one game. So the Friday night game didn't have to count, and the Sunday game didn't have to count for anything with it. Uh, in fact, the next year we can get all the awards on Saturday. Then the next what well, what happened the next year is suddenly the southeast said we've got too many tournaments for Masters. So we've got to cut back on some and they dropped it from being a Masters qualifier and a month to go on it, we only had like 16 people signed up and we had to cancel it. And then Mantic wanted the name. So they negotiated for the name, but then they could never find a weekend for a tournament.
2: I know in those early days, we were a a victim of our own success because in the early days, we were just like, hey, you run a tournament, you can be a qualifier. And Every Tom, Dick, and Harry was like, oh, I have a 12-person event. I'm going to be a qualifier. And so it was like, oh, I don't know, 16 events or something like that that previous year? So, And I think now we're between 8 and 10 in the in the Southeast. So it's, it's sort of stabilized.
3: Just uh, something that I know uh, your listeners probably don't know because it was just decided on. Uh, actually, Origins and both Gen Con have now suffered that same fate. That we uh, – I had a talk with Ronnie on Saturday night and we're not going to be running the big Kings of War tournament at Gen Con anymore.
2: It's hard, right? I, it's so many people. It's
3: There's so many other tournaments you can go to, yep. and you don't have all the overhead of trying to get to the big convention yep. with it yep. and things on it. So we're going to go back to, it's going to be more about demos and teaching and bringing people in who aren't playing the game rather than, oh, try to get, you know, handfuls of the experienced players in come here instead of, Oh, the three other tournaments are going on that weekend within the same, within a drive.
2: I think that's a sign of Kings of War 2, is that there's not a lot of events part of a convention. A lot of them are, you know, standalone Kings of War events. So one final event I wanted to touch on is the U.S. Masters. It's obviously holds a special place with a lot of players. Uh, it. The organization and the event itself were, it goes well before Kings of War back in the days of Warhammer, but for Kings of War purposes, it started in 2017. Shannon, I know you were there. I know, Mike, Mike, you were there too, right? I was there the first two years, yeah. I actually was a mercenary the first year, amazingly enough. We had a great time in 2017 in Nashville. We held it just outside Nashville in a town called Murfreesboro. Huge thanks to my co-conspirators, Keith Randall and Todd Perkins, and all all the guys from Memphis that came and helped me, Billy with paint judging and Devlin and Price for doing the scorekeeping. It was uh, nerve-wracking because you're like, you got 64 players coming in. And for those that don't know the history, we actually had a venue change last minute where we originally were going to hold it in Atlanta and things just went foobar and we had we had to call an audible. We ended up taking collections for a few players that were were out for some cash on their tickets because they had to change their tickets And but I'm just real glad looking back on it everything worked out really well and it kind of set the stage for going forward with Kings of War and then Chris Kapsner and team, Grant Federer, Mike Carter, Michael Perlow, but a lot of people helped. But in Chicago, that was also a really great time. Um, again, all 64 players showed up, which was awesome. And then finally, this last year, 2019, we held it in San Antonio, Texas. Mark Cox and Ryan did an amazing job, you know, thanks to everybody that came down and helped. But the thing that that encapsulates the Masters for me is, yes, it is it is an invitational, right? So each Region selects their players however they want to select them. But every year, even if we have to use mercenaries, we filled all the spots and everybody shows up. I have never been to an event where you have 64 players signed up and all 64 players show up. Part of it is we got lucky with some of the weather because obviously in February when we hold the Masters, it can be dicey. And again, we're going to upstate New York in 2020. There's going to be the potential for, for weather-related issues. But knock on wood we've had three bang out years where everybody showed up everybody had a great time and for a room that was supposed to be overly you know like the the best of the best the best man those were some of the friendliest most sporting games you know uh, that I've seen and Shannon why don't you talk you've been to all three all three were have been a great time
1: obviously the first year was um a new experience for me so I was pretty nervous on that year going down there and, and trying to play against people from all over the country, just from the playing aspect. But Nashville was wonderful, uh, city to host it. The weather was beautiful. We got to go downtown on Saturday night. Um, and obviously downtown Nashville is a great, great place to hang out, great place to go eat. And with temperatures in, I don't know, the six upper sixties maybe, or seventies even that year, it was fantastic. Um, just to hang out and socialize with people after the games. And then, obviously, Chicago, like you mentioned, weather was good again. We did the pizza dinner there, so everyone, for the most part, just hung around the hotel. And, again, we had a good night of socializing after the games.
2: Well, and thanks to you for doing that, because every year we've added a little wrinkle to it. Going to Chicago, they said, one of the things we didn't do a good enough job, I don't think, was keeping everybody together. You arranged a big pizza dinner, and it was amazing, right? You know, and, and this year... Going into 2020, the big thing we're adding is that we've had a, we've got a side event. So people that aren't going to be there, invited to play in the Masters, can come and play Kings of War in the same venue as the rest of the Masters. And it's going to be I mean, whether you're either event you play in, it's going to be an amazing time.
1: Yeah, and so I'm looking forward to that to see how it how it all comes off and how well it goes. Uh, I'm curious to see you know how many people will come in for the side event as well. Hopefully we'll have good weather again, so it'll make it easier for people to get in. And it'll be a good time. I imagine, for the most part, people will probably stay in this time. In the hotel, there should be plenty of stuff to do on site. I think plenty of restaurants. Uh, There's not as much stuff around. Like last year, we had the Riverwalk. Nashville, you had downtown. We won't have the same draws, I don't think, outside the venue. So Saturday night should be a lot of fun hanging out with people, getting to see and talk with all the other players from different regions.
3: Doesn't it have a casino? It does. Yeah, so that's going to keep a lot of people in there. In fact, my wife may be interested in a, uh, coming up just because that's some place for her to hang out.
2: You know, I don't, I don't know what the over-under is, but I think the side event could be just as big as the Masters. I think it's a
3: possibility. <laughs> it's really surprised me at how many people have started going and saying, I want to go to the Masters, even though I'm not playing in it. And um, just I'm not sure we ever had that with Warhammer with it of people going to go to watch it to hang out just to be around people with it and that's why they decided to open up the site event on it is there's a whole lot of other players there um, and it's given them something more to do and helping it to grow they they talked at sometimes about having it at adepticon and i'm like you don't do an invitational at a huge public tournament at a huge public convention that's not a good idea but I'm wondering how much
2: this is going to start turning into its own bigger thing, if this keeps up. I think at this point, we've established a pretty good track record. This is our fourth year. So I'm confident of the future. However, you know, obviously, every year we learn something new and we grow and we continue to grow and grow and grow. So thanks for coming on and reminiscing. Uh, it's nice talking to some of the old uh, OG, original gamers.
3: Original gamers. I like that. thinking old guard. But you know,
2: for those of you that are listening, uh, that are maybe new to the game, if you are old Warhammer players, there is an event coming up in the fall called Crucible GT link in the show notes. Um, it has become sort of a reunion for the old guard from Warhammer that have, that have transferred over to Kings of War. So I'll put a link in the show notes. If you are, you know, those people you used to see at those big tournaments, they're going to be there in Orlando in October link in the show notes. But guys, final thoughts? I'm
1: really excited to see where 3rd Edition goes. Uh, I think 2nd Edition was a huge improvement over 1st, and the community has really grown. So hopefully 3rd Edition will be another step up over 2nd Edition, and we'll continue to grow the community.
4: I'm excited about 3rd Edition. I, I, I've I got a little hesitation because I like 2nd so much, I don't want to screw it up. So, But I think there are some tweaks there, and... Just excited about it. I love Kings of War. It's just such a good game. And, you know, ranks and flanks forever, man.
3: I'm real excited about it coming out, even if it means I'm probably going to have to redo every one of my 20 demo armies uh, and get those ready to go to uh, start teaching uh, it next year at the conventions. So it's great. I, You know, I love the number of brand new players we keep bringing into it. People that have never played war games before can get in, and in an hour, they're playing it without questions. And that's just a, a great thing with it. So it's a great game. I think it's going to keep going, and I'm looking forward to it.
2: I'm really happy that they decided to no, not no Kickstarter. I think that's, that's good for our community. That's good for our local gaming stores. But I'm also really interested to see the folks that have been playing second edition and have gone through the three Clash of Kings books because those of us that were in first and went to second or have played Warhammer in the past – Addition changes are different. (laughs) There is a lot more changes. Uh, You know, uh, there's going to be units that may not exist in the new version, right? There's going to be magic, you know. So I'm kind of excited to to, to see all the changes, but I'm also uh, interested to watch from the sidelines some of the some of the veteran second edition players who have not been through an edition change before to see how they handle it because there's going to be an opportunity i'm going to call it a shannon shoemaker type opportunity to solve that puzzle quick and figure out what you know what what the what the correct scheme is uh and there'll be a window where you know mike they don't have enough play testers maybe maybe something slips through and there's an opportunity for exploitation people smarter than me will figure it out faster probably
1: yeah, I'd be curious to see how it changes the game up, right? We've had different metas over the last three or four years with the Clash books, and this will be a even bigger, as you mentioned, much bigger change. So it'll be interesting to see how it shakes things up and if we do get a rollover at the top of, of the players who are doing well consistently.
2: Well, those are good words to take us out by, and until next time, keep countercharging. Thanks for listening,
0: and we'll see you next time on countercharge. Please let us know what you thought of the show by emailing us at counterchargepodcast at gmail.com on Twitter at countercharge15 If you enjoy the show, you can help others find out about it by leaving positive reviews on iTunes. Until next time, keep countercharging. Music is a composition of Kevin McLeod and is licensed under Creative Commons.